shouts to our sponsor, Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. For a first deposit match up to $100, use code COMBO. That's right, use code COMBO for a first deposit match up to $100. I'll leave a link in the show notes for that. If you'd like to watch this episode in its entirety, Combo's Court episodes are now available on the NBA Report YouTube channel. I'll leave a link in the description for that as well. Let's get into it. Jason Timpf of Hoops Tonight. Welcome back to Combo's Court. How are things? How are things? I'm good, brother. I uh starting to feel a little bit faster on the basketball court, so that feels hey. good. I'm dealing with uh, uh, like getting all of like the touch and timing stuff back, but like it just, dude, it's been a, gr- a grind, you know, all those like little muscle issues or it's like, Oh, I haven't moved like this in a while. And now my groin hurts or now my hamstring hurts or something like that, but little by little making it back and just feels good to be playing again. And, um, ski season. So I'm going out of town a little bit, but dude, when I get back next Wednesday, it's like straight grind from, you know, deadline, through to the race to the playoffs to like the actual playoffs where I work literally every single day twice <laughs> until right. the end of until the middle of June so like it, it's going to be a grind but I'm looking forward to it man this season is like it, it, it feels so wide open yes yes okay now your tweet it involved Jamal Murray. <laughs> Great way to start, right? It, it it involved Jamal Murray and Austin Reeves, but you weren't necessarily saying that Austin Reeves is as good or better than Jamal Murray. Um, it's funny because I have another show that I work on over here, right here uh, at Combo's Court Studios, and I remember comparing Cade to Luca and LeBron. Not, and I had to preface by saying I'm not saying he's nowhere near as good as them. He's just that type of archetype. He's that archetype of player. And and you're right. He is. (laughs) Exactly. So it's like, do we have to explain everything in 2024 still, like all the way through? Like, did you have to like support that tweet with like nine tweets? Dude, I had another one this morning. Same kind of thing where like I I tweeted something about, uh, um, I think it was the, it was like the Clippers or Embiid's jumper or something. And some kid was arguing in the in the replies about something completely different where it's like it, Twitter is just a weird place to talk about basketball because like you, everyone's got, everyone's like keyed up and like ready to pounce. Even when, even when it's not what you're getting at. And that was what was so funny. Like Jamal Murray, I've had as the 15th best player in the league in my player rankings this summer is 15th or 16th. And Steph was like second. And Austin Reeves is outside of the top 50. So like, obviously I'd never in a million years would con- uh, consider them to be the same player where they're similar is just in the archetype. They're, he's a skill guard who has some physical, his primary impact is on the offensive end and he has some physical limitations on the defensive end. No different than Kate Cunningham is a big ball handling forward. Who's an excellent playmaker who relies on his size and strength to get to his spots. It's it's ve- and is very methodical in his shot creation. You're correct in comparing them as an archetype. It doesn't mean you think Kate Cunningham should be second team all NBA and LeBron shouldn't make the list. Like that's not what you're saying. Right. And uh, specifically with Austin, like he's a good offensive player. Like he's one of only 11 players in the league this year to be, uh, to have run at least 500 pick and rolls and to be getting at least one point per pick and roll, including passes. He's been more efficient than Jalen Brunson, for instance, in pick and roll this year, 1.04 points per ISO. That's 24th out of 73 players to run at least 50 he's shooting 53% and effective field goal percentage on pull-up jump shots. Like he's a skilled offensive player, 
even if he's not as good as Jamal Murray and Steph. And the point I was trying to make is just like, hey, like in the NBA, when you have a skill guard, that's an important part of your offense. It's not a cop out that you can't guard. Like you can find a way to guard. The Nuggets right. have been a, a really good defense the vast majority of this year and were really good defense last year in the playoffs, despite Jamal Murray not being a, a great defensive player, right? And same thing goes for Steph in 2022. And like the reality is, is schematically, they protect those guys. You don't have to allow a team to attack your weakest defensive player. You can hedge and recover in off-ball actions. You can... um uh, refuse switching off the ball so that he's in a situation where he's in help most of the time, even in the event where he does in a transition cross match or in a screening action that does result in a switch, you can give him a job like, Hey, Austin, like when you get switched, your one job is take away the jumper and force him to drive in that event. You're going to have backside help. You just need to be able to quick peel off and rotate to the next guy. And like, that's right. literally what the warriors and the nuggets did with Jamal Murray and with Steph Curry, primarily they just hedge and recover with those guys to try to prevent them from ever ending up in a switch. And it's like, meanwhile, the Lakers will just sit there with Austin on an island and let him let him get attacked. And it just doesn't really make a ton of sense from a schematic approach. And the simple point I was trying to make is like, Austin is not Isaiah Thomas. He's not 5'10 and so True. small that he's incapable of impacting the defensive end. He's 6'4", 6'5". He's a smart player. You just got to build a scheme that he can function in. So... Talking about somebody who is incapable on the defensive side, but I think is actually one of the most underappreciated stars in the NBA, Trey Young, right? Trey is so underappreciated because he's not an eye-popping athlete, even though he's lightning quick, right? And he puts up these numbers that are just ridiculous for his size. And him as a passer is quite incredible because a lot of the best passers in the league can like see over the defense, like a Jokic, like a Luka, and even Harden is a bigger guard. Um, I always thought that it's not a knock to say Trey Young can't win a championship as your best player. Um, that's not a knock to me. That's how I feel. But I also think a lot of people undepreciate his game. And I was on Twitter and I saw this tweet by Clutch Points. Shouts to Clutch Points. Trey Young's camp would reportedly be open to pairing him with Victor Wembanyama on the Spurs via HP basketball. On paper, it does feel like a perfect fit because Trey Young is one of the best lob passers in the NBA. Wemby is obviously one of the best lob threats, and he already changes the geometry of the court on the defensive side, Wemby that is, and I think it is a perfect fit on paper. Would you like to see that duo with Trey and Wemby in the future? I mean, who wouldn't? That would be amazing. <laughs> I mean, the, the like, I, the, I think... I think Victor's capable of a lot more than just uh, screen and roll basketball or screen and pop basketball. Uh, like I agree with Wemby that he's got, you know, wing potential in terms of his offensive utility in the long run. Uh, that said, like, I don't see how having Trey Young on the roster disrupts that development, really. I mean, that one of the biggest problems with the Spurs this year is they probably have the worst collection of ball handling I've ever seen on an NBA team. I mean, I mean, Sohan was playing point guard. Yeah, like I, I don't I don't like watching those games. It almost had a college feel in the sense that like just yeah. the overall ball handling and passing is just so low on that roster. And so like Trey, to your point, like Trey has his limitations, but like the reality is, is like he is quick. He is capable of of fulfilling a defensive role. Popovich would probably be able to bring him to that point. I always look at drop coverage as like two brackets, like the back pressure bracket and then the the rim protector bracket. 
and like Victor's bracket is just so big <laughs> because right. he's so damn long that like it kind of creates an easier role for whoever's in that point of attack position. And so like it makes some sense. And most importantly, I just think it would add a, a great deal of offensive organization. The main concern that I would have would be timeline. Like by the time Victor gets to the point where he can be the best player on a championship team, will Trey be 30 and no longer quick enough to uh, to be able to kind of fulfill that role? You know why I like the idea of that? Because Trey could still feel like he's the main guy for the time being. And then Wemby, <laughs> Wemby, Wemby, Wemby gradually fills that role over time. So it's not like a straight, oh, you're a number two guy, Trey. Because I don't think Trey would like that. Well, I mean, number two is all relative. It's like the ball's still going to be, it's not like they're, it's not like, Hey, Victor's the number one, Trey go stand in the corner. Like, I mean, right, Trey, right. Trey's going to have the basketball the whole time, but I do agree with you in the sense that like in the short term, they would kind of just kind of like Trey would start as the best player. And then Victor would right. eventually overtake him. Right. Uh, my thing would be like, unless you thought you could win a title with Trey, I just don't understand, you know, giving up because presumably Trey's still going to be expensive. So, yeah. like, from that standpoint, would you be better off, you know, finding some other short-term option in terms of ball handling? Like, what if they, what if Chris Paul, like, gets bought out or some shit like that? And, like, and then they end up bringing him in as, like, a guy that can kind of help organize things or something? Because you don't want to, you don't want to forego the long-term potential of the team for a short-term benefit. If you can't win a title and if it costs you a lot in the sense of assets. And so that, that, that would be where I'd be concerned with pairing those two. Yeah. I like the star fit of it though, for Trey. Like I think that gives Trey his best chance because of what Wemby could do on the defensive side in terms of cleaning things up and then the lob threat aspect of it. But, but to put it simply like this year's Hawks would probably still dominate the Spurs this year if Trey Young was added outright to their roster. Like there's just not enough talent on the roster top to bottom. It's a lot of young players with a lot of issues, right? Like Sohan's got so much potential, but he's kind of helter skelter. Like Keldon Johnson can't shoot and and has a tunnel vision in a lot of situations. They they have they have good players. I'm not going to uh, sit here and pretend uh, like they don't have, you know, like a good foundation, but they're just a long way away. And so I don't necessarily see uh, Trey Young as any sort of like short term magical fix, if that makes sense. Speaking of top end talent, the Mavs have a lot of it with Kyrie and Luca. Do you land them as legit title contenders right now? And what move would they have to make to become that? Because it seems like Pascal is heading to Indiana, which I thought would be a great fit. Yeah, I mean, here's the deal. They're, I really want to applaud the front office for how quickly they turned this thing around. Uh, they found, like, they had to hit on all of these veteran minimum contracts and the one sign and trade they hit, and they did. Like, Grant Williams has been a really nice fit. Like, uh, Derek Jones Jr. has been a guy who's been able to take primary yes. point of attack assignments, which has really, really helped. And guys like... Uh, like Derek Lively has been as much of a home run of a first round pick in the, you know, that's not in the top two or three that you'll see in a long time. And 100%. he's actually, he's actually averaging two blocks per 36 minutes, which is yeah. uh, really good for a rookie great screen and roll player. Uh, I, the entire team is committed like Luca and Kyrie are defending. They, yes. they are eight, 18th in defense for the season, which is pretty impressive considering the group of personnel. They actually just recently had a stretch over like 15 games where they were like third. They've just slipped in the, in the last, uh, the last few. My, my main concern would be this, like 
they take the most pull-up jump shots in the league. They don't score in the paint and they can't defensive rebound. And those are three big time concerns that I have in a playoff setting. Say that one more time. They, uh, they take the most pull-up jump shots in the league. Okay. They don't score in the paint. I, I want to say they're 25th or 26th in points in the paint per game. And they don't defensive rebound. They're 28th in defensive rebounding percentage. And so that, that just as the physicality and intensity increases in the later rounds in the postseason, pull-up jump shots become less efficient. And when they're your primary bread and butter in your offense, that can be a concern. Uh, it's usually teams that score in the paint and spray out for higher quality catch and shoot looks that thrive. I mean, if we go back the uh, four of the five champions since KD and Steph won in 2018 were low volume pull up jump shot teams that scored a lot in the paint. You know, the one ironically, the one team that wasn't was the Bucks in 2021. And they literally had Giannis. So like, like, cause they, they took a lot of pull jumpers because of Drew and Chris, but like they, they like Giannis was the one that kind of bullied their way to the basket. And so that's not to say they can't, but like NBA history tells us if you don't defensive rebound, you lose by the way, the, like all those teams, the, the nuggets, the, the warriors, the Lakers, like the, uh, the bucks, they were all excellent defensive rebounding teams. I, I, the last bad defensive rebounding team to win the title was the Raptors, ironically, with Kawhi. But like, it's pretty uncommon. Like, generally speaking, it's good defensive rebounding teams with real size that can score in the paint, go inside out. So, like, that's not to say they can't. It's just there's some big red flags there that NBA history tells us teams like this usually don't win. Let's shift to the New York Knicks. We've discussed the possible. Mitchell Brunson fit. How would you feel about a DeJounte Brunson fit? Because the Hawks are looking for two picks, which the Knicks have. Do you like the idea of that? I like it from a personnel standpoint. I, I, the, the big question would be who are using a salary filler there? Like, is it just Evan mm -hmm. Fournier and, you know, another guy yeah, and yeah, two for, like so. something like that? Yeah. Okay. So if they do it like that, then it doesn't mess up the lineup. Now, I love the fit one through four because I, I've always believed like skill guard, athlete guard who can defend at the point of right. attack and beat people off the dribble, like perimeter oriented forward, interior oriented forward, and who's bigger and stronger. And like Julius Randle's your big forward. Ochi Adenobi has been like absolutely amazing for them, right? Yes. Jalen Brunson's your skill guard. And it's like, it's been like some version of Dante DiVincenzo or Quentin Grimes or somebody like that in that two guard spot. And they're just not good enough. DeJounte Murray is a decent point of attack defender who can be great. He just hasn't been playing great on the defensive end since he left San Antonio, right? He's shooting one of he's having one of his best seasons with catch and shoot shooting. Uh, DeJounte Murray is a guy that consistently beats people off the dribble. So I like all of that. All of that's great. Uh, the main question would be, is that the guy you want to spend two picks on? If the Sixers play a fail out in the, in the first round or second round this year and Embiid demands a trade this summer, you know what I mean? Like that, that's where it gets a little tricky is like, do you have the asset trove you need? Cause I, I could see Embiid taking something crazy, like six picks or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, do you think that's a good, like if you're the front office, do you think that's a good enough reason? Because it's only a possibility. It's only like something that could happen. What maybe there's like a ten percent chance that, that happened, fifteen percent? I don't know. It doesn't seem I. I mean, I don't think the Sixers are better than the Nuggets, but they did beat them last night, and they could add somebody else at some point. Is that a reason not to go get Dejounte Murray? Well, okay, forget about Embiid for a second. Like, there's mm -hmm. a there's a 
50% chance that in the next two years, a bona fide superstar will be available for, for trade. You know, like yeah, it's not true. It's not off the table, right? Like, I, like it, it, it's these are all things that these are all things that 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 could happen at some point in the next couple of years. And my and again, that it's it's just like any other investment. It's like when Bitcoin, you know, went down. It's like it's like well, I can cash out now, but it's like it might go up. It might go and like that's the thing is like you've got a certain amount of picks that you can use, you know, and you've got these. You've, they've got good salary filler thanks to you know guys like Evan Fournier, right? So like you get you're, you're positioned to be able to make some sort of move. The question is, is like, do you cash in on DeJounte Murray or do you hold out for somebody better? Because like there is a diminishing return from the standpoint of like picks, right? Like if Siakam goes for three picks, think about how that disrupts the market. Because like now, I mean, didn't DeJounte Murray go for three picks when he went to the Hawks? If I remember correctly, I think it might've been three first round picks. So like, it's one of those things where it's like to get a really, really good player, you got to shell out draft compensation and it just gets complicated. You know what I mean? What I think Rudy was the guy that really disrupted everything, right? Yeah, he, Rudy. What, Rudy what screwed did he get? Like, tw- what twenty? What did he get? Like twenty-eight picks? I think yeah, it was something crazy, like four <laughs> picks and three swaps or something like something like that. But hey, I will say that Minnesota looks good, so I don't want I don't want to hate yeah. too much on it. Okay, we'll talk about Minnesota another day. But I would like to shift to the Hornets. How much Hornets basketball have you been watching, Jason Timph? Uh, not that much, to be honest with you. <laughs> so with but that I did, said, I did watch some film on Hayward this morning. Though. Okay, good. So with that said, I'm glad you were well prepared for the pod. I don't know if it was for this pod you prepared for, but I'm glad you did get to watch him play. Because my next thought is what would be possible, who would be possible suitors for one Gordon Hayward? Obviously, he's not in his prime anymore. Everybody would love to have Utah Jazz Gordon, but. What do you think of him as a player right now? And who could he possibly help? I'm thinking like sixth man off the bench, maybe even the Knicks. Who knows? So the way I look at Gordon Hayward is he effectively at this phase of his career amounts to like the forward version of a skill guard. Okay. Essentially think of him as like the small forward version of Austin Reeves. Like you, you, he cannot be your primary. Is Austin flat out better than him now, right now? Probably, but I, then again, I, when's the last time we've seen Gordon Hayward play real meaningful basketball? You know, like it's, that's the thing you never know, right? Exactly, and and I usually look with a guy like that as like this is a dude who's been a winner his entire life, like and like it, it, I look at Gordon as one of those guys that like if he happened to be on a contender, that is a dude who would lock in and be a savage competitor and find a way to 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 help them. So like I I see that as an upside. That said. In terms of archetype, back to our original discussion at the beginning right. of the show, like Gordon Hayward to me is a skill forward. So that would mean he would need to play for a team that has a really strong group of athletic athletes at the four and five. Okay. Like good athletes at the four and five. And then they would have to have a really good point of attack defender in the backcourt. Because it couldn't be like a Lakers thing where Austin and D'Lo are the two and then Jared Vanderbilt. I was gonna say Mavs until three. you said that. I was gonna say Mavs until you said that. Yeah, Mavs is a great example with like Derek Jones Jr. Like they're they're using right. their three as a point of attack defender. So like, okay, well that, he that, also that's... but he also plays like four or five at times. Yes, he does. And uh, <laughs> the, the the Mavs are such a weird team because every dude's in a weird position. Like Luke is the point guard, but he's built like a forward. It's like that you have like Josh ba- Green and, and Derek Jones who are playing like forwards, even though they're ba- more like twos. It's weird. Back to my point, like the NBA is all about meshing tendencies and skill sets more than slotting positions these days. Oh yeah. Did, did you see that? Uh, you know, I think it was, uh, I think it was Stan Van Gundy in the broadcast last night was talking about how like this game was so weird because both teams were taken out of their core defensive scheme. 
because like yeah. both teams, it's like Embiid and Jokic aren't guarding each other. Everyone's running super bizarre actions compared to the rest of the league. And so that's why both teams scored 78 points in the first half. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and anyway, so like, again, I would want a really athletic four and five on that team so that Hayward doesn't have to be like your, you know, physical bastion of the front court. Right. And then I would need an excellent point of attack defender in the backcourt so that Hayward could function essentially as like a skill player in that grouping. And so I had three teams. I didn't see a single team in the Western conference that I liked. Wow. I even, I even explored it uh, with the Lakers. I was like, what if they got like Terry Rozier in Gordon Hayward, but like, they'd have to come up with 50 something million in salary, which is like, I like, I like as, as, as much as Rudy, uh, as much as Rui Hachimura is not a great like fit with the Lakers. Cause he has to come off the bench. I, I, I think he's a better player than Gordon Hayward. So I wouldn't want to like necessarily give him up. Terry so, Rozier seems like, like one of those uh, guys LeBron will take in. Right. He just seems like oh, one of those guys. Ter- Terry Rozier is one of those guys where like, if he was the backup plan for the Lakers this year, I'd be happy with that right, because right, Terry, right. Terry's a good athlete who can really, he can generate dribble. He's to me, he's a better version of Dennis Schroeder. So like he could, he right. could really be helpful there. Now the three teams that I came up with were the Cleveland Cavaliers. Okay. You imagine a, a a situation where uh like he could essentially slot in at the three next to Evan Mobley and and Jared Allen and give you some real skill in the in the front court, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, although I don't think he'd be one of their best five. So like he'd be kind of like you said, like a sixth man who would maybe close some games depending on the matchup. The Miami Heat. Oh, you got. Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo in the front court that kind of do all the dirty work. He just gives you a skilled forward that kind of slots nicely in there at that three. Um, although he's another guy who might come off the bench for them. The other team that I put down was the Indiana Pacers. And the way I'd look at that is like, it would make sense to me in the context of a Siakam trade where, where you basically look at it as like, I've got Miles Turner and Pascal Siakam as my two big forwards that can do everything. Um, like in the event that Bruce Brown is included in that Siakam deal, uh, you would look at maybe an Aaron Neesmith at the two, which normally would scare you because he's not a great ball handler. But if Gordon Hayward was at the three, he's a great ball handler that kind of makes up for that. It, when Aaron Neesmith is kind of used functionally as like a three and D guy, I think he can be pretty impactful. And then you look at it. It's like, if I have Tyrese Halliburton, I've got Aaron Neesmith taking primary point of attack assignments. I've got Gordon Hayward and Pascal Siakam at the three, four, and then miles Turner as my pick and pop big that can protect the rim. Like that's kind of an interesting lineup. Like that's, it's not, it's not a team you'd pick to win the East, but it's definitely a team that you'd view as, as, as feisty. And I, I like that. And, in the context of that Siakam uh, move. But those are the only three destinations I wrote down that make any sense. Would the Knicks make sense? They need a six man. I like the idea of Malcolm, Malcolm Brogdon a lot better. I even like the idea of probably Colin Sexton better or Jordan Clarkson better. But would that make sense off the bench as for a six man? Uh, I don't hate it. I, I was specifically specifically with the uh, you basically look at him as a, 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 an Evan Fournier replacement, right? A guy that comes in with the bench groups also and takes quick, on more ball also handling quickly in terms of just being a six man, you know? Yes, but I'm with you. I think I'd probably rather have Malcolm Brogdon for, for a spot like that. Uh, but Malcolm Brogdon could be a little pricey. Uh, it could be. He should be. You know, that guy's guy. good. I seen him take yeah. over versus the Brooklyn Nets in overtime easily. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Brogdon's a good player with him. It's always about whether or not he could stay healthy, but you could say the same thing about Gordon Hayward. But yeah, you know, it's funny. There's actually like, we always talk about the big names. It's like Jeremy Grant, Laurie Markkinen, you know, Pascal Siakam, but like there are a lot of 
really good kind of like other tier players that are like a tier below that. And what's interesting too, and you and I both know this, just having been around the game our whole lives, like it, when you have really good stars and then you bring in a guy like that, a Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward, Malcolm Brogdon, you know, an over, and you put him in an overqualified role, you know, we're yeah. like, he's functioning as a role player, even though he's had experience doing more. Like a lot of times you can get like uh, some pretty hefty returns on something like that. Right. Especially I mean, if you Aaron, have some freedom, Aaron Gordon especially is a great if, example of that. Especially if he has some freedom in that role. Exactly. Like Aaron yeah. Gordon, when he was with the magic was trying to be, you know, another scoring forward. And then it's like, wait, well, well, he's this awesome athlete. What if we bring him in and just have him, you know, basically be the dirty work for, for the nuggets. And suddenly he's like one of the most impactful role players in the league. Now he's younger, but the point is, is like when you take a player that has done more for a long time and then you give him a role that's more achievable, they can overachieve and it can be something that leads to, like I said, good returns. Real quick. Last thing I was thinking about this today, years back, I said, Russell Westbrook needs to play that Bruce Brown type role that he did with the Brooklyn Nets is Russell Westbrook actually three years, four years later, is he actually doing that now? Or is he, or is there something else going on with him in the Clippers? So there's no doubt that it's a better fit with the Clippers than it was with the Lakers. But I was literally watching, uh, I was literally watching uh, Clippers wolves the other day and I'm like, okay, Russell Westbrook just smoked a wide open transition layup. Uh, okay. Russell Westbrook just took with 12 on the shot clock, like this drifting fadeaway along the baseline over over the shot blocker what is he doing or like oh oh he just threw this weird bizarre cross-court skip pass thing that was intended for Kawhi Leonard that got stolen and now they're running the other way for a dunk it's like it's just Russ has done a lot better in those things the defensive like the defensive intensity the rim pressure like kind of controlling himself but the mistakes are still there and until he can like kind of dial down the mistake side of things I don't think he'll ever be as impactful as a Bruce Brown is. Mm. Uh, but he is trending in that direction. It's just a question if he can get there before his body fails him. Jason, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Where can we find you? Social media, the podcast, the show. Talk to us. Man. <laughs> so you can find the show on YouTube uh, under Hoops Tonight. We started a new channel this year. Um, podcast feed under Hoops Tonight. I'm on Twitter at underscore Jason LT. I'm also on Instagram and TikTok do film threads there in the uh on twitter in the mornings as basically as i'm going through my film sessions i just document it all on twitter because it helps me remember and then also it just kind of gives the fans a more visual 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 example we're working on in the long run adding more video content to the like actual a game film to the show but it's just difficult for us right now so twitter's where i do that kind of stuff but yeah uh at underscore jason lt and then hoops tonight wherever you get your podcasts or on youtube and dude this was fun always fun to be on Always fun talking basketball with Jason Tibb. You're always welcome back on the show and talk soon. Let's do it soon, man.